This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. We always like to start with some quirky stories, and I've got a couple for okay. you for 2006. None of the big stuff. We're not going to focus in on the political meanderings of that year. But we never what I, do. What I will tell you is, and this is the headline, it reads as follows, Sketchy Escape Foils Robber. <laughs> Okay. Okay. An 82-year-old Australian cartoonist who was expert at doing high-speed sketches of sports <laughs> participants. Sorry, high-speed sketches. As in, he could draw very quickly. Okay. Right. He was a cartoonist. It for just, you don't sake. expect. You think high-speed chase. You never think of high-speed sketches as a certain craft. Um, no, well, he was. He was. Yeah. He was a cartoonist. He His was a caricaturist, and he, he was very. He was able to do it very quickly. He was eighty-two years of age, and um, he actually managed to draw the picture of a man who robbed his so, his home so accurately that police used <laughs> the image to arrest the burglar. <laughs> So somebody is robbing his home and instead of trying to stop him, he reaches for his pen and pad yeah. and gets the evidence as quickly as he can. Right, I'll tell Did you he what draw happens. A gun? His name was Bill Wegg Green, okay, and uh, he's an Australian gentleman who had his home broken into. Now, he'd been a caricaturist, a caricaturist and a cartoonist his entire life and he says, I can remember faces immediately. He confronted the robber in his home on, it was a Saturday morning at about 10 o'clock in the morning and he was met with loud swearing and cursing. He came out of the back door. This bloke from the carport apparently was worried that uh, he might do some damage to the cars. Now, Mr. Green was only in his dressing gown at the time. He was brushed aside by the man. Love that detail. He was 82 years of age. And um, he said, I thought if I got in a fight and lost my dressing gown, I might end up starkers, (laughs) said Mr. Green. So what he did was... This is the most Australian quote I've ever heard. Yeah, I might end up starkers. (laughs) Um, So as a result, the man made his escape but Mr. Green had already grabbed pen and paper and was hastily sketching out uh, a caricature of this gentleman. I imagine one of those things you get, you know, from one of those street artists who who offers to draw absurd large pictures of you. If anything, that would help, right? Because you're exaggerating the obvious features. So if this fella had a big nose, for example, he'd have a huge honker on the drawing. You'd really notice that when you're looking for it. The the robber apparently stole a bicycle in order to make his getaway but the bike had two flat tyres, which caused more swearing and more cursing. And eventually, having given the image of the the, the gentleman to the police, they were able to apprehend him 600 metres down the road. (laughs) That is so sad. Um, This is another good one, actually. This this is really good. Paramore ousted by parrot. This is 2006. I feel like I know where this is going. Right. A computer programmer found out his girlfriend was having an affair when his pet parrot named Ziggy Stardust kept repeating her lover's name. (laughs) The African grey parrot kept squawking, I love you, Gary. Oh... As his owner sat with girlfriend Susie What's on the sofa, the, the owner's called Chris, okay. on the sofa of their shared flat in Leeds. Okay. <laughs> um, now, when Chris saw Susie's embarrassed reaction, he realised that she had indeed been having an affair with a bloke <laughs> called Gary. And Ziggy Stardust, the African grey parrot, had been an unfortunate witness. <laughs> to this liaison. How many times do you think Ziggy had to reveal that mention about Gary before he started to put two and two together? I mean... Because the first time you're just thinking, that's a bit odd. 
Yeah, but when he's done it six or seven yeah, times, exactly. it's like, who he's the heck is Gary? To, exactly. It was a four-month affair, apparently, and it, it resulted in the breakup of both Chris and Susie. Chris ultimately said, I wasn't sorry to see the back of Susie after what she did, but it broke my heart to let Ziggy go because, unfortunately, Ziggy kept squeaking and squawking Gary's name, oh, um, yeah. and Chris could no longer deal with it because he was always... Confronted by the memory of that illicit liaison. Are you a little bit surprised that after the first mention that Susie didn't secretly leave the window open accidentally and just let Ziggy free? I mean, you'd think, um, you know? I don't think she would imagine she would have been rumbled by a by parrot. By a parrot. Yeah. But you realize it's happening. I mean, you kind of just let the parrot go. Sweep it under the rug. It's a heck of a conversation. Um, luckily, <laughs> Ziggy was found a new home. So all's well Aww. that ended well. Good. A local parrot dealer was able to rehome Ziggy, who they live forever, African grey parrots. They live to about 70 years of age, oh, so wow. he may well still be with us. Um, and finally, still 2006. About Gary yeah, exactly. To this probably. day. Yeah. Someone else is wondering who the heck Gary is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and this was also the year of Guy Goma, um, the Our greatest favorite. case of mistaken identity of all time. Um, it would be remiss of us. Not to give it one more play, would it not, Sone? You recall the setup here, the BBC studios. The- I will never forget. First of all, we talked about it on this show about 16 times. But aside from that, I do remember the story even from before yeah, that. And it never I, I gets mean, old. It's one of those stories that it doesn't matter that we've talked about it 16 times because it never gets old. Now, indeed, at BBC headquarters, a British taxi driver who'd shown up for an interview was mistaken for a computer expert in the music industry and bustled, mic'd up into the studio and given a microphone to be interviewed. And just in case you haven't heard us play this out before, here it is. So what does this all mean for the industry and the growth of music online? Well, Guy Cuny is the editor of the technology website, uh, News Wireless. Hello, good morning to you. Good morning. Were you surprised by this uh, verdict today? I'm very surprised to see this verdict to, to come on me because I was not expecting that. When I came, uh, they told me something else and I'm coming. You got an interview there, so it's a big surprise anyway. A big surprise. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. Um, with regards to... Just the glassy horror in her voice. But uh, the films, let's focus in on those. Your nomination for Film of the Year, Sone, 2006. Is Little Miss Sunshine, which I remember watching and absolutely loving when I watched it. I realized with this film in particular that I like these kind of quirky character drama. It's about a family whose youngest child of about nine years old wants to participate in a beauty pageant and they go on this road trip to basically try to get her there. And it's a classic dysfunctional family. Yeah. Let's take a listen. Cheryl, remember when Olive was runner-up in the regional Little Miss Sunshine? Well, the girl who won had to forfeit her crown. I don't know why, something about diet pills, but anyway. Now she has a place in the state contest in Redondo We're going to California. There are two kinds of people in this world, winners and losers. Sarcasm is the refuge of losers. How much do I owe you for those pearls? Of oh, that one's on the house. You That's you're not going to charge me for that. Stop it. Up. He started it. There's a very famous scene. They're all having a car journey. They're having yeah. a road trip and they're all arguing amongst themselves. i got a little fact for you. I've not seen yeah. the film. Having watched the trailer, very keen to see it. I think it looks fantastic. It's got Steve Carell. Um, the Terminator, Arnie himself, mm. was the man who sparked the idea, apparently, because the screenwriter, Michael Arndt, was struck by a speech that Schwarzenegger gave to a bunch of high school students yeah. um, a couple of years prior to that. He said, if there's one thing in this world that I hate, it's losers. Oh. I despise them. 
said Arnie. And Arndt thought to himself, there's just something so wrong with that attitude. There's something demeaning and insulting about referring to anyone as a loser. Yeah. And he said he wanted to attack that idea that in life you're going to either go up or you're going to go down. You know, I like that because it's, you know, sometimes Arnie can do no wrong, right? People take what he says as kind of word. Mm. But yeah, I mean, there is something. It works for him. He, sure. Just being relentlessly positive yeah. and relentlessly moving forward in a certain way with a certain kind of discipline. We're just not all built the same yeah, we're way. We're not all going to move countries and conquer that particular country's right. film industry and marry into royalty and, and do all the sort of stuff. Mr. Olympia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're certainly not going to get famous for lifting weights. No one in this studio. Anyway, let's go on to my choice for 2006. Uh, it needs no introduction. It's an absolute classic. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? This is not the regular police. This is the state police. We are an elite unit. This is who we're after. Frank Costello. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So what do I do? I mean, incredible cast. Yeah. Absolutely incredible cast. So glad that Jack Nicholson was the man that was chosen to play the mob boss, Frank Costello. It almost was Robert De Niro. He's actually made eight films with director Martin Scorsese and had been approached, but in the end he was directing his own movie, The Good Shepherd, which gave Jack Nicholson a chance. And I think it just, having seen Robert De Niro in Casino and Goodfellas, it's nice that a legendary actor like Jack Nicholson was given that role, I think. Definitely. I think just the idea of freshening it up, I mean, when you see Robert De Niro typecast in this role again and again and again and again. As a viewer, I feel like it gives you something different to see somebody else bring yeah, something to, it, to a role it. like this. And, of course, the, the, the two younger stars, um, Matt Damon and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, just playing off each other so brilliantly. And you're never quite sure which side the other one is on yeah. at the same time. Matt Damon, having come off the back of the Bourne movies, he was having just an incredible purple patch in Hollywood back then. A couple of stats for you. 50% of The Departed's $90 million budget went to the actors' salaries. Wow. Well, with those names, that's not yep, really surprising. That's it. Heck of a cast. Yeah. And the title card in this film, random stat this, it doesn't appear until 18 minutes after the movie starts. That would really throw you off, wouldn't it? You're deep into a movie. And by 18 minutes yeah. in, you're sucked in. Yeah, hang on you're a in that Whoa. story. Yeah. It's just beginning? Oh, How wait, long is I'm this thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's directed by Martin Scorsese. Buckle <laughs> up. It's going to be at least three hours long. But um, what a great film. What a great film it was. This was, of course, the year that 007 made a fresh new appearance. Controversially a little bit, played by Daniel Craig. There was a lot of column inches at the time taken up by trying to decide whether James Bond could be blonde. Isn't it crazy that people debate stuff like I this? I know. It's ridiculous. And they debate it seriously. I mean, really in is. earnest. I know. And as it turns out, it turned out to be a brilliant addition. Casino Royale. I would say he's one of the best Bonds. He has. He brought a grittiness to the yeah. role. And this particular film, Le Chiffre, Daniel Craig as Bond, Casino Royale. I think it's my favourite. The man was Le Chiffre, private banker to the world's terrorists, which would explain how he could set up a high-stakes poker game at Casino Royale in Montenegro. If he loses this game, he'll have nowhere to run. You're the best player in the service. The Treasury has agreed to stake you in the game. But if you lose, our government will have directly financed terrorism. I will be keeping my eye on our government's money. And all feel perfectly for us. You noticed. I hope our little game isn't causing you to perspire. 
It doesn't bother you killing those people. Well, I wouldn't be very good at my job if it did. I mean, what a film. I mean, it's definitely Daniel Craig's best Bond. I think it's the best Bond ever, was in my humble a, opinion. Was this a direct remake of the previous It was, it was an origin story. I think it was a direct remake of the film, and it was, I think, relatively faithful to Ian Fleming's book. Right. And they, of course, subsequently have gone off tact, haven't they? But um, interestingly, Quentin Tarantino had expressed an interest in directing Casino Royale, and he said he wanted it set in the 60s. He wanted to shoot it in black and white, and he wanted to feature Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. But ultimately, that pitch was rejected because Brosnan was considered too old yeah. to be James Bond by then, and they wanted to move in a different direction. They wanted to modernise the whole franchise, and um, essentially, Bos- Brosnan's salary as well was an impediment because he would have cost $30 million to hire. So um, it- It's kind of weird to even think about that, because Tarantino is so distinctive in his style, his sort of as an auteur, you I know? You, I'd love to but, have seen that. Yeah, it would be interesting, but it would just be so... I feel like outside of sit outside of all the other Bond films, like it just wouldn't have fit I'm in. I'm kind of with Tarantino as well. I just I, f- I think it's weird moving with the times when it's James Bond. But I mean that's just a personal opinion. He was yeah. a creature of the '60s, and I would have loved to have seen a film directed by Tarantino set in the '60s, starring 007. Great James Bond entry. Um, Blood Diamond also came out that year. Soon, a chance for Leonardo DiCaprio to put his South African accent to good use. I never watched this. But it was such, I mean, everybody was talking about this when it came out. I mean, it really put on the map the awareness. It's funny how a movie can do that, where all of a sudden people were saying, oh, I don't want a Blood Diamond engagement ring. I want the certificate to make sure it's cruelty free, et cetera. Yeah, it really did. It it certainly heightened that conversation for sure. It was a great, great movie. Um, Chris's choice would have been The Prestige had he been in studio. I've not seen it personally. Directed by Christopher Nolan, who, of course, had rebooted the Batman franchise Mm. at that time. And um, a bit of a sort of, uh, well, a kind of rivalry between two stage magicians in London at the end of the 19th century, which um, sounds intriguing. Um, It was a game of one-upmanship, apparently. Uh, Again, not seen it. We need Mr. McCarty, but he is resting his voice, and he has just uh, sent that through. Inside Man, another one, Denzel Washington. I would have thought, if I had to predict, that's the one I would have gone for, for Chris to choose. Any Denzel Washington, right? Yeah, exactly. Anytime I see a Denzel Washington film, I know it's going to be exactly the same, and it's going to be something Chris would love. Exactly. That's exactly it. uh, It's directed by Spike Lee, which I didn't know. mm. I mean, Spike Lee is one of my favorite directors. I love his style, so I had no idea. Yeah, it's on the Get on that list. Inside Man. Uh, The Last King of Scotland, The Devil Wears Prada, The Hills Have Eyes was a very uh, well-acclaimed horror film of the year. And The Holiday, starring Cameron Diaz and Jude Law as well, um, I think made an appearance. That's a pretty good film list. Not seeing too many sequels there. Not too many remakes. Not too bad. Not too bad. TV. I've got to, I mean, this is the first time we featured David Attenborough on the time capsule. But I've got to mention 2006 was the release of Planet Earth, which I think remains maybe maybe my favourite of all the documentary series that he's done. There were 11 episodes. It took five years to make. It was filmed in high definition. Each episode focuses in on a different habitat and it just showed some groundbreaking footage of animals in their natural environment. There was a sequel um, 10 years later. Planet Earth 2 was released. When you watch these, is there a certain interaction, wildlife interaction, that like sticks out to you as the most memorable from that series? I love, um, oh, from that particular series... Lions and elephants. That all, yeah. That's all I will say on that one. You de- it's definitely worth a watch. If you love your wildlife, it's a fantastic series. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Dexter was also launched in 2006, a show about a serial killer of serial killers. 
Dexter Morgan, good suburban husband, happy father of three. On paper, anyway. You better be a cop. No, forensics. That was my favorite blood spatter analyst. I'm the person who's going to keep you from killing any more women. Give me a creep. You know that, Dexter? Yeah, I know. Sorry about that. There you go, Dexter. Showtime. A very original concept. Still still going, is it? I think Chris said something about it making a comeback. Right. Some sort of remake. Again, this or... is what we're really missing, Chris, at this yeah. time <laughs> of the evening. We're probably peppering the airwaves with all sorts of inaccuracies because he's not here. And I can tell you that he is a tremendous fan of this next show, which made its debut 15 years ago. Where's Kim? Kim is always late. He's definitely watched the most episodes of Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Well, I've watched zero. I'm very proud to say I've not seen a single episode. I've seen a few clips on social, but other than that, I've never sat down and actually watched an episode. And it's insane to think we've been watching this family for 15 years. Uh, I mean, it was yeah. probably better in the beginning when it was all a little bit more real. Yeah, I, I mean, would imagine. It, it's a huge indictment on, on our society that this family gained 15 years of their time, but they did. And um, there's nothing we can do about it yeah. now. It's written it's over, into history. Though, it's, it's officially it's over. over which we is, can breathe a sigh of relief. There's more nonsense on TV to replace it. But let's move on to music if we can. Your choice for song of 2006 zone is? It is Arctic Monkeys, Ritz to the Rubble. Well, last night, these two bouncers and one room's all right. The other ones are scary and his way or no way totalitarian He's got no time for you Looking or breathing how he don't want you to So step out of the queue, he makes examples of you And there's no you can say Behind the go through to the bit where you play And you realise then that it's finally the time To walk back for 10,000 How much did this re- resemble a night out in Dubai back you know in 2006? Didn't. They didn't play this kind of music out No, but in Dubai was this like your... Is what the lyrics describing how you... Oh. How your night outs were used to go? Yeah, you know, my friends Swapping are... jumpers and exactly. trying to get past bouncers Sneaking and that in. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I actually saw the... Uh, so you picked Arctic Monkeys last week, so I almost didn't pick them, but this is my favourite. Maybe one of my favourite songs of theirs. I absolutely love it. And, um, and I saw them in concert in, like, 2006 when I was in college. Wow, And nice. it was just so good. Yeah, it, they it were... Just, well, I feel like that was when they were kind of at their peak, and it was so cool to see them live. Yeah, incredible. And I think we mentioned it, they were the fastest-selling debut album in British music history. They took over the US as well. They became the second-fastest-selling independent record label debut album in history over in America as well. So they conquered both sides of the Atlantic with that phenomenal album. Um, I've got this... I, I tell you what, my choice is a bit of a straight... Actually, you know what? I'm going to go for uh, probably my favourite Red Hot Chili Peppers okay. album. Uh, Stadium Arcadium. It's double-sided. It's uh, just a new look for... Or a new sound for the Chili Peppers. It's not as frenetic as their early stuff. There's a new maturity about it. And uh, this song is called Hard to Concentrate. I, 
actually kind of like some of their more mature songs oh, from yeah. this era. Mu- Maybe much, more than their early stuff. I find it much more musical. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just much more melodic. Um, 28 tracks on this album, incidentally, and so many good ones. Yeah. It's, it's one of those ones where I made a mental note. I've got to download that one again and give it another listen. But that's uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's my choice for Song of 2006. And I'm seeing here that you wrote a note that the front man, Anthony... Cadis, is that Cadis, what you said? Cadis, yeah. Cadis wrote the song as a wedding proposal for his bandmate, Flea. That's right, who was dating the model, Frankie Raider. And again, we need Chris for our celebrity gossip, but that's what was happening. And uh, yeah, it was a nice little uh, a nice little ditty, as Chris would say there. This one, by the way, I know Chris is going to love this one. This was a breakout single for a band called Hot Chip, and it was all part of a kind of um, electro movement during the time. Now, this, if this doesn't get you onto a dance floor nothing will this would even get me on a dance floor and i'm hugely reticent to go anywhere near one check it out it's called over and over You're looking mystified, so I am. I'm trying to figure out if I've heard this before you or not. You must have done. You must have done. It was, it was big at the time. It was a bit niche. You know what it was when I lived in Dubai? All the UK hits I mm. would have access to, but at this time I was in the States. Right. So I missed a lot of these you UK songs around this time. Yeah, dig it, though. A friend of mine said... That's cool. A friend of mine said he heard this song once when he was over in Las Vegas at a pool party, <laughs> and it got the entire place jumping, really? he said, in a matter of seconds. That's Hot Chip over and over from their 2006 album, The Warning. Let's move on. Let's get to some... I'll tell you what, this is great, actually. Have you ever seen the documentary Amy? I actually haven't seen it yet. How is it? It's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. And, um, of course, this was the year that she released her most celebrated album, Amy Winehouse, this is, Back to Black. Now, she explained that the song Back to Black was about finishing with her ex-boyfriend, who later became her husband, who is a central character in this documentary. But Mark Ronson produced this album, and Mm. in this documentary, he reflects on a rather different side to Amy Winehouse. Take a listen. She would tell me stories about Blake and this tempestuous, extreme relationship that first day she wrote Back to Black all the lyrics and the melody in two or three hours. just one of those serendipitous things like I just caught her at that magic moment you know and she was just ready to get it going that's why I couldn't understand what everyone else was saying about this procrastinating troubled artist there was something so mesmerizing about her Oh yeah! Oh my She's God! Like yeah, captivating. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you could you could see how tra- traumatized and how troubled she was yeah. in the documentary. It's it's real grainy footage of her life. You know that that friends have just you know recorded with a with a camcorder at the time. It's it, amazing film. It, right. will, it will bring you to tears. I guarantee it. Um, it's definitely worth watching. Amy Winehouse and the documentary. Amy, um, the Killers returned to form this year with the release of Sam's Town, uh, the follow up to their very successful. 2004 
four album Hot Fuss. Now, this is the probably the strongest track on the album, or at least one of the strongest. And it was actually re- influenced by one of my favourites, Bruce Springsteen, who often wrote about restless youth. You play forgiveness, watching now, here he comes, he doesn't look the thing like Jesus, but he talks like a gentleman, like you imagine when you were young. Great song. It's such a good song. In fact, what happened to the Killers? Are they still together? I think they are. I think they've slowed down a little bit. Need to check out what their latest... Uh, their latest movements are but yeah what a great album and a fantastic song that When You Were Young by The Killers we've just got to wrap up some of the music with maybe some of the more familiar chart toppers and among them was one of your favourite people so yeah Rihanna of course Now, I've got a little fact for you about this song. Yeah. Can I just say, not her best? No. Some of her early songs, just, she's such a great singer. She's such a powerful singer. Mm. And I feel like this is just... I thought as a default you'd select it, but... Uh, it was actually a you'll, you'll recognise Tainted Love in there okay. it's a song sample from oh, yeah, the 1981 hit by Soft Cell and originally this was recorded by soul singer Gloria Jones this song hmm. now the man that wrote it Ed Cobb um, ultimately didn't do much with the first song um, that, that was performed by Gloria Jones but when Soft Cell covered it as Tainted Love of course he got royalties for that and then he got another bunch of royalties when Rihanna turned it into a chart topping hit so an otherwise anonymous song, really. A nondescript song. into obscurity, Absolutely. potentially. And uh, ultimately, it got two massive global hits out of it. So he really did hit the jackpot. And Good then just finally, um, do you remember when Justin Timberlake could do no wrong at the top of the charts? There was He somehow managed to climb out of boy band lameness into being kind mm. of generally accepted as cool. Okay. He piggybacked off Nelly. And because he was with Nelly, people assumed he was cool. That's it. Now, I'm yeah. going to ask for you a yay or nay for this song. Yay or nay, Sonora Barney? You know, I'm going to give it a yay. This was a good album. Mm. I love this album. It's great. It had, um, it was just such a, you know what it was? It was such a different sound. It was the same album, I think, with Sexy. I'm bringing Sexy, Sexy back. back. That's the one. And you heard it on the radio, and I remember it being like, you didn't hear any, you hadn't heard Quite anything. I'm to say that, but yeah. You hadn't heard anything like that on the radio before. It was such a different no, sound. it was, it was. He described it as a rock techno ballad, did JT, mm. um, who he went up in my estimation when I learned what an avid golfer he is. Um, but uh, this was actually Pitchfork, who are a quite a distinguished website. Yeah. They are a quite high brow when it comes to their music. They actually named this their mm. number one song of 2006, much to the disgust <laughs> of many of the music buffs that follow them religiously. Chris's choice, yeah. of course, it is probably some high energy dance beat. Let's take a listen. He's pumping his fist next oh, to us. Oh my word. We really shouldn't have given him the last word, should we, on the music? I was just about to praise the music from 2006, and now it's gone down a notch. Oh, oh my word. Dance. Cascada. Oh. Every time no. we touch. Mainstream Chris was definitely rocking to that in Fockabers yeah. on a Friday night back in 2006. No doubt about it. But uh, are you are you happy with the film and music choices for you the know, year? You know, I'm a little bit surprised. Not bad, you know? Compared to the past few years, I feel like I've given the past few years a solid six or seven. This one's doing a little... 
feel like there's a little uptick here okay. in, the, in the music and movies. Right then, let's move on to the world of sport in 2006. There really is only one place to start when it comes to sport, and I'm sure this is a match that you witnessed, Sonal. Um, the World Cup final with your beloved Italy um, taking on France in a match that will forever be remembered by two moments. One sublime, yeah. the other utter lunacy from the talisman, the Frenchman Zinedine Zidane. This is perhaps the only sporting memory or image that is like ingrained in my brain. Yeah. It First was just though, so shocking when it happened. One of the most, before the the kind of descent into madness came, one of the most impudent penalties ever scored. Take a listen. It's Zinedine Zidane here. Be in, honestly, that would be in the top five coolest things I've ever seen yeah. in sport. The guys in a World Cup final, it's a penalty. And not only does he do a Penenka, he chips the goalkeeper with the style of a Penenka. I mean, it was absurd. It went in off the underside of the crossbar against one of the greatest goalkeepers of the last 20 years in Buffon. I mean, it was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Why is that so? Because Penenkas, people do pull them out now and then, right? In a World Cup final. No, it's, nobody's I mean, trying that. Yeah, that okay. is absolutely, I mean, just complete nerves of steel from Zinedine Zidane and then well then came the infamous headbutt which saw Francis Talisman see red the pictures tell the story he leaves football in disgrace and he leaves his team in big trouble Italy would go on to win the penalty shootout and claim their fourth World Cup. Zidane, meanwhile, never played for France again. He has completely rebuilt himself, of course, as a manager of incredible acclaim for Real Madrid, um, a man that's led them to three consecutive Champions League titles, which is quite phenomenal. But um, Materazzi, Marco Materazzi, the man who he headbutted, did reveal ultimately what uh, he said to Zidane to provoke him. Did he? So he was clear and about I can't that. Repeat that yeah. on I mean, I thought it was, it was something. Bit, was it a racial? It was. Slur it, it was alleged to have been about Zidane's mother, right? Materazzi. I think says we can imagine it was a derogatory jibe about another family member, and we'll right. leave it at that. But uh, yeah, crazy way for him. One of the greats, one of the all-time greats, to end his career. Certainly playing for France, and um, he has indeed rebuilt his reputation. And it, it's it's certainly a blot on his copybook, but mm. I don't think it tarnished his career in the way that we perhaps expected it to back in the moment. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.